The following contains content that is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. The Devil and Mrs. Tremblay Written by Craig Moody Narrated by Jessica Caruso Four. Dr. Ronald J. Johnson arrived a week later. Molly was with him. She asked Edgar to stay outside while the doctor spoke with me. How you been sleeping, Edith? He asked, sipping the freshly brewed coffee I had just made for him. Fine, I answered, refusing to even look at Molly. I was furious that she went through with calling the doctor. Molly here tells me you've been having some sleepless episodes, cleaning relentlessly? Molly needs to mind her own damn business, I snapped, still refusing to look over at my hovering neighbor. I see, the doctor said, scribbling something onto a piece of paper. For nearly an hour, the doctor asked me question after question, eventually asking Molly to leave the room after I had become more and more aggressive about her presence. I think you're having a manic episode, the doctor said softly, gently placing his hand over mine. I can prescribe some lithium. It should help to stabilize your mood. I scoffed. How dare you, doctor, I gasped. Are you calling me crazy? No, never. Not at all, Edith. You're just experiencing a bit of a breakdown. It's common in women your age. I can give you something that will help stabilize you. Get out! I shouted, pointing to the door. Don't leave me nothing. Get out and never come back. Dr. Johnson frowned before collecting his things. He made his way to the front porch, mumbled something to Molly, and then returned to his car. I could see Molly still on the front porch, lingering as the doctor drove off the property. Thankfully, she didn't dare venture back inside the house, so I was able to resume my cleaning in peace. I didn't get out of bed for three straight days. Edgar worried something terrible. He feared I was ill. I did feel sick but I never ran a fever nor had any other signs of illness. I just felt miserable. Being awake and aware was overwhelming. I didn't speak to anyone, not even Edgar. I only ate two or three times, downed a few glasses of water here and there, but mostly stayed beneath the covers, trying my hardest to escape from the world. I felt guilty. Guilty for treating my friend and neighbor with such anger and aggression. Embarrassed for disrespecting and insulting the only doctor I had ever known. But most of all, I was in agony over the pain I had caused Edgar. I had committed adultery, knowingly and willingly. I had confessed to only the first encounter and had offered a slew of apologies for it. But I had yet to ask for forgiveness. Not from my husband, and certainly not from God. When I wasn't sleeping, 
I was thinking. And when I wasn't thinking, I was weeping. On the evening of the third day, I finally spoke to Edgar. Can you ever forgive me? I sobbed, hunched and pathetic in the bed we shared. At first, Edgar only glared at me, but eventually he warmed to my vulnerability and wrapped his arms around me. He sat on the edge of the bed while I whipped into his chest, just as the first time I had apologized to him. I cried along to the rhythm of his heartbeat. I needed his forgiveness now. I needed him to respond. Do you forgive me, Edgar? I asked, allowing my lips to graze the exposed skin of his upper chest. Edgar didn't say a word. Edgar, I whispered, say something. I don't know. He murmured, his voice low and cracked. What do you mean you don't know? I mean... I pulled myself from his arms so I could see his face. My eyes were met with a blank stare and an uncertain expression. I mean, I want to, Edith. He continued, his eyes darting around the corners of my face. I'm trying to. I could only stare at my husband, heartbroken and defeated by my own sins. Here I had assumed Edgar had forgiven me after my first apology, and especially after we had visited Brother Tom. But it was clear he was still struggling. Truth be told, I couldn't blame him. In the time since that first and only apology and the meeting with the preacher, I had sinned against my marriage once again. I continued to betray my husband. Perhaps I wasn't sorry at all. Perhaps I didn't deserve forgiveness, neither from Edgar nor God himself. I dropped back onto my pillow and cried myself to sleep. Edgar was still beside me when I drifted off. When I awoke, the sun had risen and Edgar was nowhere in sight. I walked downstairs to brew some coffee. To my complete shock, Joe was seated at the kitchen table. I didn't see Edgar anywhere. Where's Edgar? I croaked, my voice dry and hoarse from days of silence and crying. He went to the neighbors, Joe replied, keeping his eyes down. He was reading the newspaper. I could see it was the classified section. Joe was reading the wanted ads. As I situated the fresh coffee grounds into the percolator and lit the burner, I suddenly found the courage to apologize to Joe. I felt that my path to forgiveness and redemption meant making things right between myself and the one I had sinned with. I'm sorry for taking advantage of you, Joseph. I stated flatly as calm and collected as I could manage. You're a young man with natural needs and urges. You can't be held fully responsible for what occurred between us. I played my part as well. Joe didn't look up from the newspaper, but I could see his eyes were still. He was no longer reading. He was listening. Edgar is aware of what happened, at least some of it. I told him during the winter. 
That is why he no longer allows you to sleep in the downstairs bedroom. Joe lifted his eyes, a look of sadness and regret covering his usual carefree and boyish expression. I don't want to be here no more, he confessed, his eyes holding my gaze. I hate it here. You people need help, prayer, something. But you need a lot more than a farmhand. I don't want to be part of this twisted game you play. I shook my head. No, Joe, I started, clearing my throat. <clears> throat> it's no game. Edgar is innocent in all this. It's me. I'm the one with the problem. I've been so dissatisfied lately, not just with Edgar, but with my life overall. My inability to give Edgar children, my... I stopped speaking when I noticed Joe smirking. Why are you smiling? I asked, my inflection as piqued as my confusion and curiosity. Edgar ain't no saint, Mrs. Tremblay, Joe declared. He's at the neighbor's farm right now fucking Mrs. Jefferson. He goes over there at least once or twice a week. Mr. Jefferson always runs into town at least once a week. They make the best of their time together, but it's been going on for as long as I've been working here. I felt my head tilt back as my body started to drop toward the floor. I felt dizzy, faint. I had to grip the stovetop behind me just to remain standing. My lungs heaved in air and my throat opened for a terrifying, elongated bellow. When I opened my eyes again, Joe was gone and I was alone in the kitchen. I ran upstairs, the percolator still simmering on the stovetop, and slammed the bedroom door shut behind me. I remained there, sitting against the door, my body trembling in both shock and rage. I waited until Edgar returned home. Edgar just stared at me, his eyes wide as I berated him for cheating on me. He attempted to speak several times, but I wouldn't cease my rant long enough for him to slip in a single word of defense. Eventually, when I had exhausted myself of pure anger, Edgar moved to embrace me. I fought him at first, but he was strong and determined. He pinned me in place and waited for me to succumb to his grip. You're talking crazy, Edith, he declared, his words strong and resolute. I don't know where you got this from but it's the craziest thing you've ever said to me. I would never touch Molly Jefferson. Never. Liar, I shouted, my head unable to move from its place against his chest. Edgar only tightened his grip. I ain't lying, Edith. I wasn't even at the Jeffersons today. I've been in the field since dawn. Joe told me, Edgar. He told me the truth. He told me you go over there once or twice a week when Bill ain't home. He said it's been going on for as long as he's worked for us. Edgar pulled me from his chest so he could look into my eyes. Joe told you that? He asked, his eyes a bit wild. When? Just this morning, Edgar. He told me this morning. That's impossible, Edith. The boy was with me the entire day. He was never out of my sight from sun up till sundown. He was never far enough away from me to take a shit, much less to come inside the house. I started to argue, but then felt a sudden iciness 
creep over my skin. I did find it odd that Joe had been able to slip out of the kitchen so quickly and silently. I didn't hear his chair move, nor the screen door open and close, both constant and common sounds within the old wooden farmhouse. It was as if he hadn't been there at all, vanished into thin air. You must have dreamed this, Edith, Edgar continued, loosening his firm grip on my upper arms. You've been sick lately. Perhaps you just had a fever dream is all. Maybe I should call Dr. Johnson to- No, I interrupted. No, Dr. Johnson. I looked around the room, suddenly paranoid about my own sanity. Had I dreamt the whole conversation with Joe? Could Edgar be lying to me now? I just knew I had been down in the kitchen. Everything felt so real and... The percolator, I shouted, causing Edgar to peer at me curiously. What about it? He asked. I put it on earlier, while in the kitchen, but I left it there. It was still on the stove when I came upstairs. It must have burned up by now. It must... Shh, Edgar cooed pulling me against his chest. Just calm down now, Edith. But the percolator! I screamed, jumping from the bed, causing Edgar to stumble. I know I left it on! I ran down the stairs and rounded the corner to the kitchen in record time. I could hear Edgar struggling to catch up to me as I neared the stove. Nothing. The stovetop was empty. The percolator was nowhere to be seen. You moved it, I hollered, sensing Edgar behind me. You saw it all burned up, so you threw it out. I'm not crazy, Edgar, and I ain't stupid neither. You, my words, caught in my throat the moment I spun around to face my husband. The percolator, unburned and normal, was gripped in his hand. But... I felt myself slide down onto one of the wooden kitchen chairs. I just don't understand how. Just stop all this now, Edith, Edgar commanded, setting the percolator down on the table in front of me. You can see for yourself there ain't nothing wrong with this percolator. You dreamed all this nonsense. You were never down in the kitchen today. You never saw Joe. It's all in your head. You either daydreamed it or you saw it in your sleep. Ain't no one been in this house all damn day, so just stop all this ranting. You are really starting to worry me now. I gaped at the percolator. It was fine. Not a scratch, not a mark. Certainly no burn marks. But the encounter with Joe had felt so real. I knew I hadn't dreamt it. I knew I had been down here. Eventually, I gave in to Edgar's coaxing and followed him upstairs and into bed. I stared into the darkness as I felt him slip beneath the covers beside me. After a moment or two of awkward stillness, he finally reached for me in the blackness between us, pulling me tightly against his body. I felt him fall asleep behind me, his breathing deepening once he found slumber. I lay awake beside him for hours, racking my brain for answers. 
For the first time in my entire life, I question my sanity and grasp on reality. The entire ordeal frightened me terribly. When I finally did drift into unconsciousness, I was met with dreams filled with fear-laden questions. Was I going mad and hallucinating entire interactions and conversations with people? Was Edgar just lying to cover his tracks? But the percolator. Had I really been down in the kitchen this morning? It surely would have burned while unattended for so long. Hours had passed between the time I had placed it on the gas burner and when I finally returned to check on it. Surely there would be evidence left on the aluminum of the hours of neglect. I didn't know what to believe or what to think, even in my subconscious dreaming. I resumed my usual household chores the following day. The entire encounter with Joe, followed by the uncertainty provided by Edgar, continued to haunt me. I had never experienced something so vivid and realistic that it turned out to be nothing more than a figment of my imagination or some lucid dream. I tried to distract myself, but I kept coming back to it. The precise and certain way Joe spoke, his sly, coarse smile, as he revealed Edgar's supposed affair. Perhaps out of a need for stability and temporary mental peace, I chose to believe Edgar. I never knew him to lie to me, and deep within, I just didn't feel he was actually carrying out some ongoing affair with Molly Jefferson. It just didn't feel right. It didn't make sense. I decided it was best just to accept the reality my husband presented and put the entire ordeal out of my mind. I rarely interacted with Joe. In fact, I hardly ever saw him. Once or twice a day, I would catch glimpses of him out in the fields, but as Edgar had mentioned, Joe was always near wherever Edgar was. Edgar hardly allowed the boy to stray more than a few feet from him. Side by side, they planted and fertilized, tilled and tended. They worked hard to cultivate as many crops as the ground would allow, but per usual, the soil remained solid and parched. Edgar's elusive reign continued to evade him. That night as Edgar smoked his tobacco and I knitted in silence, I allowed myself to journey out beyond the muffled sounds of the radio, over the fields and crops and to a world far beyond. I imagined the coastline of California and the pristine beaches of Hawaii. I even saw the icy mountain peaks of Alaska. In my stillness, I yearned for another life, a different existence, and an escape from the gray monotony of Oklahoma. In my daydream, I prayed for an escape. A brief thunderstorm rolled over the farm the following month. The radio had warned of tornadoes, but our focus was on the rain. I hadn't seen Edgar so pleased and excited in years. I couldn't even remember the last time he was this alive and boisterous. He even allowed Joe to remain inside the house while the storm thundered overhead. I was uneasy having Joe in the house. 
His very presence only reminded me of the phantom encounter in the kitchen. Weeks had transpired, and I had long accepted that I had imagined or daydreamed the entire conversation. Seeing him now only caused me to doubt the conclusion I had settled on. His face and fleeting glances only solidified what I still partially believed to be true. I busied myself with various household tasks until the storm had passed and the men returned to the fields. Later that night, Edgar made love to me more passionately than he had in ages. It felt wonderful. I was so safe and secure in his arms. For the first time in forever, I climaxed alongside him, our bodies exhausted in a unified sigh of post-coital pleasure. I waited for sleep with the smell of my husband's skin all over my body and memory of his warmth in my mind. I loved Edgar. I was safe with him. I thought of Joe and how I still wished he would disappear. My mind wandered back to that day in the kitchen, Joe overlooking the classified ads, seeking new employment. The newspaper. We never had a newspaper in the house. Edgar didn't read them. We consumed our news from the radio, which we sat by every single evening. If I could find that newspaper, it would only... No. No. I couldn't. I shouldn't. I should sleep. I shouldn't. It took me a few seconds to realize I had already slid out from under the covers placed my feet onto the bare wooden floor of the bedroom and begun tiptoeing toward the stairs. My heart raced as I scoured the kitchen and living room, desperate to locate the imagined newspaper. I searched every single nook and cranny of the downstairs portion of the house. I didn't stop myself as I slipped out the screen door and into the yard. I bolted for the silo, my naked feet cold and damp against the wet midnight grass. I popped open the silo door and stepped inside. In the faint light of a dimly lit lantern, I could see Joe asleep on a makeshift bed. My eyes darted around the room, searching frantically for what I had. There. There. Just out of the illumination of the weak glow of the lantern. I tiptoed into the shadows, my heart beating so loudly inside my chest that I could hear it. I found them. Newspapers. A pile of them. They dated back weeks. Far beyond the day of my imagined conversation with Joe in the kitchen. Each paper was creased and folded to the classified section. Each paper had at least one pencil-drawn circle around some job offer. It was clear Joe had been searching for something new for weeks, months even. I struggled to contain my rambling mind. After several seconds of confirming and reconfirming what I had just found, I lifted my body from its squatted position and started to tiptoe back toward the door. Joe's voice stopped me in my tracks. Confirming your suspicions? Joe asked his half-naked body now erect on the bed, his lower extremities covered loosely by the stained, thin white sheet he slept beneath. I... Uh, I... It's true, Mrs. Tremblay, he continued, 
his voice calm and certain, just as it had been in the kitchen that day. Everything I told you is true. Your husband is seeing another woman, Molly Jefferson, your friend and neighbor. It happens even more often now, more than before. He was there just today. Smell him. Sniff his skin. It still smells of her. I felt my head shaking in disbelief. I was too afraid to respond. I started to bolt for the door when Joe jumped from under the covers, the fullness of his naked body now fully lit in the soft light. Believe me, Edith, he growled, his voice cracking and sinister. Believe me. I managed to move around him and run out the door. The cold dew slapped against my bare feet as I thundered back inside the house. The screen door slammed behind me. My breath was lost and heaving. I fell to my knees, desperate to regain control. To my surprise, Edgar didn't hear me. He was still asleep when I eventually ventured back upstairs. I slid beside him underneath the covers, tempted to smell his skin as Joe had suggested. Instead, I clamped my eyes shut and forced myself to sleep. In perhaps a self-induced subconscious form of protection, I didn't dream at all that night. My next conscious moment came when I found myself alone in the bed, the sun peering through the nearby windows, Edgar's voice as he shouted work commands at Joe echoing in the distance. For the second time in my life, I feared for my sanity. Hi, I'm Craig Moody, and I want to thank you for listening to Craig Moody's Novel Bites. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when the latest episodes are released. Print and digital editions of my previous titles are available through all major retailers. For more information or for links to my social media, please visit craig-moody.com. Until next time.